the Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Jennifer Palmer covers education for Oklahoma Watch, and she has been covering the election and what it means for the future of education in Oklahoma. Jennifer, Governor Sitt was reelected, and his pick for state superintendent, Ryan Walters, won his race as well. Did those wins surprise you? Yes and no. I mean, the polls were definitely showing a much closer race than what we actually um, saw on Election Day. But it is Oklahoma, and the last Democrat uh, elected to a statewide office was like t- 2006. So it's it's been a while. It shouldn't have been too big of a surprise. Now, educators, for the most part, uh, supported Walter's opponent, Gina Nelson, for state superintendent. Uh, some are now saying they'll they'll quit the profession. Is that right? That's right. Uh, many, many educators supported Gina Nelson for the state superintendent role. They, um, in general, are pretty opposed to some of the policies that have um, been passed or supported by Walters in his previous role as Secretary of Education and and by Stitt in the last year or two. Those are things like um, changes to the funding formula, the anti-CRT, so-called CRT bill. Um, And I think for the most part, educators are even more opposed to some of his proposed policies that we could see coming forward. And do you think that's a legitimate threat or is that just uh, talk and and sort of sour grapes at this point? I mean, it's hard to tell. I do know that emotions are really high right now and educators have been through a lot. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago we had the teacher walkout, which was really years and years of underinvestment that bubbled over. Um, And then shortly after that, we had a pandemic, you know, where teachers were asked to do so much and were really, um, you know, at at risk for their own health and and safety in the classroom. And so I I mean, I think for some, certainly this could be the breaking point. In your post-election analysis, you wrote that private school vouchers are now all but certain. What did you mean when you wrote that? Yeah, I've had a little bit of pushback on that, um, but I, I mean, I, I do stand by it. I think that this proposal was just narrowly defeated in the Senate. Um, this was, you know, uh, for private school vouchers, also called the backpack funding bill proposed by Senator Greg Treat. Um, it just barely failed um, in the Senate this year. One of the senators who voted no um, has been uh, lost his election. And so, you know, it's going to be really, really close. I know that Stitt and Walters will certainly um, bring this back up. Do you think that uh, the school voucher issue was on voters' minds for this election? I think for some, it was certainly a big part of the campaign messaging that we saw on both sides, Um, certainly from uh, the Democratic side, uh, you know, against school vouchers, calling it a rural school killer um, from, you know, Joy Hoffmeister's campaign and Gina Nelson's campaign. Um, But I also got some questions from voters in the days leading up to the election. They still aren't really sure what vouchers are, how they would work. 
um, and what impact that would actually have on rural schools. How about funding for education? Did you expect Stitt & Walters to support more money for education? This is certainly something I asked Governor Stitt when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. He is very proud that the um, investment in public education has, uh, you know, remained steady under his, um, you know, first term. And, you know, he says he'll continue to invest. Um, One thing that I don't hear talked about too much is the fact that schools got a lot of COVID relief money. And to accept that money, states had to agree not to cut education funding, right? So uh, we're already sort of under an agreement to keep the funding steady. And this is the last year of that. So, um, you know, what next year looks like, we'll have to wait and see. Any other signs about the uh, direction the administration might be heading now? Well, right after the election, Governor Stitt hired uh, Brandon Tatum as his new chief of staff. Uh, Tatum is a former executive vice president at Oklahoma Christian University. He is a member of the statewide virtual charter school board. So really, really, um, you know, uh, friendly and accustomed to working with private universities, private schools, uh, virtual schools, charter schools. Um, So I do think that kind of signals um, the, the direction that his education policies will be heading. All right. Thanks, Jennifer. You can read uh, Jennifer Palmer's election analysis of the uh, potential uh, for changes in education in Oklahoma over the upcoming years on our website, oklahomawatch.org, where you can also subscribe to her weekly newsletter, Education Watch. Keaton Ross covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch. He's been crunching numbers to evaluate voter turnout in last week's election. Keaton, how did turnout in this year's election compare to the last midterm in 2018? A little over 50 percent of registered voters cast a ballot in the governor's race last week. Uh, That compares to about 56 percent in 2018. So we saw about a 6% decline uh, this year compared to that last midterm election. Well, were there any regional differences in voter turnout? Uh, Going through the different counties and and evaluating everyone, it it appeared that generally the the northwest part of the state um, had a higher turnout than the the southeastern part of the state. Um, That's kind of been a trend we've seen over uh, several elections, so that that wasn't wasn't too surprising, but that that was pretty apparent, the difference there. What about rural versus urban? Did we see any shifts there? It was pretty similar across all of them, uh, the, the decline. I believe there were only five counties that I saw that had a higher turnout rate this year compared to, to 2018, and that includes places like Oklahoma County and, and Tulsa County as well. So, uh the trend held up in in rural and urban areas as far as lower turnout compared to that last midterm. Now, Oklahoma historically has one of the nation's lowest voter turnout rates. Why is that? Uh, A few different reasons. One is just the uh, competitive elections tend to increase turnout. And as we've seen in Oklahoma there, you look across all of the, the U.S. House races. Uh, none of them were very competitive. The Senate races weren't very competitive. Uh, it's a very red state. Uh, and, you know, there, there was thought that the governor's race might, might end up being uh, 
coming down to the wire, but ultimately Stitt won by a uh, 14 or 15% margin. So um, the competitiveness and, and folks thinking that their uh, vote isn't going to make that huge of a difference has, has led to that uh, as well as just the ease of, of voting and uh, how easy it is to get registered and cast your ballot. Um, for example, Oklahoma's voter registration deadline is uh, about three weeks before the election, uh, which is uh, other states typically allow more time leading up to the election to get registered to vote. Those sort of things uh, together um, tend to tend to influence turnout. Have Have there been any legislative efforts to get more people to the polls? Yeah, over the past several years, we've seen we've seen a few efforts get through the legislature. Uh, for example, in 2021, uh, lawmakers passed a bill adding an extra day to early voting. So we saw uh, before before this election in 2022, early voting was only on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and they tacked on Wednesday this year. So there was an extra day of early voting. And then uh, seven, almost eight years ago in 2015, lawmakers uh, passed a bill authorizing online voter registration to try to uh, make that easier. So we've we've seen a few legislative efforts there. Online voter registration has not uh, yet been fully implemented, has it? It has not. I, I wrote a story back in July trying to follow up on the status of that and, and contacted the, the state election board, and they told me it was uh, just ongoing technological issues. Uh, the Department of Public Safety has been trying to build the infrastructure uh, to cross-reference uh, IDs on, on voter registration forms with their database. And that has been uh, tricky on their end. Uh, when I contacted them back in July, they said they were hopeful it might be launched ahead of uh, the 2022 general election in November. But uh, ultimately, that hasn't happened yet. So so it's gonna, we're gonna have to wait and see if if that gets up before is there 2024. Any, is there any voting related legislation uh, maybe on the horizon for next session? So a few things. Uh, one is going back to that online voter registration, uh, the, the long wait for that. Um, Senator Julia Kurt has had legislation in the past trying to set a deadline to get that, um, set, set a deadline for that so it's not just this uh, lingering thing, try to put a little bit of, of pressure on that. Um, that didn't get, get much momentum in, in the past couple of legislative sessions, uh, but she's told me she plans to introduce uh, similar legislation. And then also um, there have been legislative attempts to, to do away with straight party voting. Um, we saw, we've seen that continue to rise and there have been arguments that, uh, that, that doesn't help as far as, uh, you know, voters going and, and, researching candidates and, and making informed decisions. Um, so we'll see. It's unlikely there's there's any change there because it uh, straight party voting tends to benefit uh, the party in power and uh, Republicans have, have certainly benefited from it. Um, they control the, the House, the Senate, and, and uh, the upper cha- chamber, the governor. So um, unlikely there, but, but I'll be, be keeping an eye on that. Uh, thanks, Keaton. You can read uh, Keaton's analysis of last week's uh, voter turnout as well as all of his other investigative work on our website, OklahomaWatch.org, where you can also subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. We 
reporter Paul Money's covered Oklahoma's statewide elections last week that saw Republicans maintain their grip on all statewide offices and supermajorities in both chambers of the legislature. Paul, despite uh, some public polls and a large amount of spending on ads by outside groups, incumbent Republican Governor Kevin Stitt uh, really cruised to re-election 15 points or so. What did the results in that race show us? Yeah, so obviously it was a little bit uh, maybe in doubt from the public polling side, but the campaign itself from the Stitt side um, said it was never in doubt from their side of, of what they were seeing. Uh, you did see a lot of rural voters uh, turn out for Kevin Stitt, which is obviously something that was needed, um, given that some of this, the urban counties like Oklahoma County and Tulsa County uh, favored uh, his opponent, Joy Hoffmeister. Now, uh, similarly, after a, a pretty tough GOP primary and a runoff, uh, Republican Ryan Walters won his election for state superintendent of public instruction, uh, beating Democrat Gina Nelson. Where did his support come from? Yeah, so Walters' support basically lined up a lot with Kevin Stitt's support. A lot of rural areas came out and voted for him, um, not as strong in some of the urban counties uh, and then some of the, the, the uh, areas in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Oh, you had a story last week looking at the trends of party registration and straight party voting uh, elections over the last several years. What were some of the takeaways from that analysis? Yeah, so we, we kind of pulled all the results from the last 10 years or so of elections, including midterms and presidential election years. Uh, so this year in 2022, uh, we had about uh, 481,000 Oklahomans that, that hit the uh, straight party voting option on their ballot. Uh, out of that, that's probably, you know, almost maybe... 42% maybe of the, the entire electorate that voted. Uh, but out of that chunk of voters, you had a pretty strong uh, Republican side of it. So about 70% of those straight party voters were Republican, about 29% were Democrat, and 1% were Libertarian. Now, uh, you also crunched the numbers on how the gubernatorial candidates fared uh, in each of the state's voting precincts. Any surprises in that data? Well, it kind of aligned with uh, previous kind of precinct results we looked at in the past from 2018 and from uh, 2014 in the gubernatorial results. Um, basically, you have a lot of kind of the inner core of, of urban areas like Oklahoma City and Tulsa voting for Democrats. Uh, you have kind of the outer ring suburbs and rural areas voting for Republicans. And that kind of held true both in Oklahoma County and Tulsa County and in some of the, the state cities, uh, you know, around Ada, maybe uh, around Lawton. Um, and also around some of the other places around the state. What about uh, the House and Senate? What's the latest there? Yeah, there, there weren't that many competitive races in the House and Senate, but um, Republicans did pick up one Senate seat. Um, the, the candidate uh, uh, beat J.J. Uh, Dossett up in the Tulsa area, uh, and um, in the House there was actually an open seat. Uh, the Democrats picked up one in the Tulsa area as well. Now, what do you think happens in February with the new legislative session and some new lawmakers in place? What are we going to see? So it's, it's it's obviously pretty hard to read some tea leaves, but we do know that, you know, Republicans ran on cutting taxes and some Republicans, not all, uh, ran on possibly uh, getting voucher schemes in schools. Uh, there's not a uniformity uh, among Republicans for that that particular policy, but that will probably come back up again, uh, kind of like we saw earlier this year in this, this legislative session as well. So there's some mandate that somebody can, play, complain, can claim for that, that those policies. Oh, you know, governors in Oklahoma can only serve two consecutive terms. 
Uh, any word on the street about what Stip might do uh, when he's done here? Uh, nothing but pure speculation outside of what the, the governor's maintained that he wanted to, to secure a second term and continue his, his push to uh, make the, the state a top 10 state in his words. Um, but, you know, he can probably take a, a pretty good ta- case to national donors saying that he has uh, taken on what he terms special interests in, in the state of Oklahoma, including the tribes, including some of the education establishment. Um, and he's taken on uh, a campaign that's had a lot of outside spending against him uh, on the negative side. And so you can probably take that case that, look, I've, I've won in a red state. Um, I can translate this to maybe a national picture. Uh, of course, he's not said anything definitively if he wants to run or even would seek any kind of higher office. But uh, there's definitely speculation probably building in some of the political circles. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You can read uh, Paul's analysis of uh, the midterm elections as well as all his other coverage of state government on our website, oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. This is Oklahoma Watch Executive Director Ted Struley. During the months of November and December, Oklahoma Watch is eligible for a matching grant from the Miami Foundation under their Newsmatch program. The Miami Foundation matches dollar for dollar every single donation given to a nonprofit news organization like ours that's participating in the program. That means that if you donate $5 a month, we get a match for $60. They match the entire year. If you can offer $10 a month, they'll match the whole year's worth $120. For $50 a month, they'll match $300. Every nickel you give is matched by the Miami Foundation as long as we receive it between November 1st and December 31st. And as a bonus, if you happen to be a brand new donor, we get an additional grant if we reach 100 new donors in the last two months of the year. If you enjoy the work we do at Oklahoma Watch, if you appreciate our investigative reporting, our holding government officials accountable, take just a moment, please, and visit us at oklahomawatch.org. Find our support page and pledge $5 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month, whatever you're comfortable doing. Every dollar of that will be matched. And if you're a new donor, we get a bonus on top of that. We're nonprofit. We don't sell ads. This is what keeps us going and what keeps our newsroom uh, keeping the public's business public. Thanks again.